0: This is Authors in Focus. Welcome back to the Authors in Focus podcast. Today, we are joined by... Uh, an author who I've uh connect I've connected with this author's work for a very long time. I'd say probably one of my favorite authors in any genre and I'm super super stoked to finally get to interview him on this podcast. Welcome David Douglas. How you doing, David?
1: Hello. i um, we all good?
0: Great. So I like to start these interviews before we get in. I got a lot of questions I want to ask you about your writing, but before we do that, I'm just going to ask you, if you could have a drink with any author living or dead, who would it be and why?
1: Oh gosh, you got to prep me for these things. <laughs> um, honestly, like right now, uh, it'd be, uh, Megan O'Keefe just because, uh, we would be able to talk about fantasy 14 and I don't get to see her or nothing game.
0: <laughs> cool. So David, you've put out a ton of books, like a, it's one way to put it yeah both uh some indie and some traditionally published uh so i want to start right at the beginning cuz i've read a lot of your work and obviously mm-hmm. uh have enjoyed a lot of your work let's start with uh when did when did you know you wanted to be a writer like when did you have that buzz that said i got to write what i want to do with the rest of my life and what led to i guess that original journey that got you on your way to publishing your first novel which i would imagine was an indie published novel um i don't i'm not sure exactly which one it is i don't know if it, it was works it was the
1: weight of blood that was the first one right i had known for a pretty long while like i wanted to be a writer i just whether or not it was going to be viable or likely that kind of went up and down but no i had like folders of short stories i was writing even in uh like middle school in high school, I, uh, my senior year, I had, it was my favorite class ever, a creative writing class where our teacher basically booked the computer room every single day of the week for the duration of the class. And our entire day for that class was always just go to the computer lab, write something. Didn't matter what or length, as long as you had something you were working on, she was fine with that. So I wrote what would eventually be, it was the title I wrote in my senior year, the first story set in Disrael, which would end up becoming, like, the Guardian of the Forest, which introduced Lathar, who ended up making it into the Half-Orcs. Mira was in that story. Uh, so, like, all the way back to high schools, where some of these characters that ended up making it into my little self-published world. That's where they started from. I wrote The Fall of the Citadel, so the beginning of the Paladins series. I wrote between high school and my first year in college. Again, I, I pondered rewriting that and, and publishing it at some point, but it's, it's so old and so terrible at this point. So, and then even in college I had, uh, I took creative writing as my minor. And, but like at that point I was starting to really feel like odds are pretty low and I was writing like high fantasy orcs and elves and spellcasters, which at the time in particular were very much out of fashion. Like this was like, I think the era of like grimdark rising in particular. Right. So I basically wrote for like, I think over this course of like two years or so, three years, uh, I basically wrote what would be the first three novel of the half orcs. Um, I just kind of just wrote and didn't think anything would happen with them. I didn't think it would go anywhere. Uh, everything I read about what agents were accepting said there wasn't a chance in the world any agent would even look at it. Um, and I, like, I pondered ways to make it more, you know, sellable. I like, you know, like naming the orcs and elves something else. and uh Like, I ended up splitting, like, the Weight of Blood is like 55,000 words, which is pretty short for a novel, but everything I read was like, oh, anything over 120,000 for a debut is too long. And I was looking at what was effectively The Weight of Blood and Cost of a Trail were just one solid book at like 180k. I was like, well, I've got to do something to shorten it. Um... So I just kind of had that story, and basically when my wife got a Kindle for Christmas, uh the two of us were sharing it, and we were reading just all the time on. I was like, this thing is fantastic. This is amazing. And I was like, this is going to be the Kindle. This is going to sell big. This is going to blow up once they get a nice cheap version out there. And uh, my wife actually looked into self-publishing on it, because I even said I would love to have, you know, my book on there because I can tell this is going to be big. At the time, there's very few people self-publishing, and even the traditional publishers, this was in 2010, uh, even a lot of traditional publishers were being very stubborn about even having digital versions of their books, and some of them were even, like, god-awful scanned versions of it, and PDFs, and covers were, like, pictures of the front of the book. It was all kinds of terrible... Um, so my wife looked up, and I had been told that self-publishing was a, basically the end of your career and often just likely a way to scam you out of your money. And uh Which the scam part is still still somewhat true in a lot of places. But uh I looked it up and saw that it was a straight royalty split. It cost nothing to upload. It cost nothing to have the book for sale. And I was like, all right, if I don't do this, I'm going to probably regret it for the rest of my life. So I like... Mass edited as fast as I put, could the first two work books and started trolling through Deviant Art trying to find an artist that looked like they were decent at what they were doing, but also within my price range, which at the time I'm, like, living on, like, a $1,000 a month in a trailer. <laughs> so I wasn't exactly rocking a high budget, and Peter Ortiz, who did the cover with The Blood... I contacted him and he was like, yeah, I'd be interested. I was like, well, how much for just a single image? He was like, ah, probably just a hundred bucks. I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. So if you look at the way the blood's covered, that does not look like a hundred dollar cover. I can assure you. Uh, I made sure to make up for that. I used him for all of my self-published covers and I made sure to steadily increase the price of that to make up for the super cheap cover he gave me the first time when I very much had no way to afford it otherwise.
0: Yeah. No, the covers are amazing. They're, um, one of the things I noticed right away about the Half-Orc series is that the covers I thought were super professional. Throwbacks, I mean, like throwbacks to some of the classic um, classic fantasy oh, yeah. uh, out there, definitely in comparison to you none know, of the covers of uh, your Orbit books, but but super pro and definitely uh, definitely very appealing. So that kind of yeah. blows my mind to know that you got them at such a... At such a That that very first
1: one or two, yeah. No, I I was very much trying to hearken to the old Drist covers, which was, like, a huge influence on those books anyway. And I was trying to market to people that wanted to read that type of thing. Fantasy novels with, like, hey, look, there's orcs and elves and spells on the cover and people sword fighting, you know. Nowadays, it's not near as weird or uncommon to see such high fantasy. But, like, for a long while, it was like, you know, you could find, like, you know, You'd go to the fantasy section, and there'd be, like, all these, like, grim dark and fancy covers. And then you'd see, like, the little D&D section where, like, the Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms novels were. And they right. would have, like, the fantasy elements on the front. So I was just like, all right, well, I'm just going to try and market it to people that like those. So, yeah, I self-published. Uh, I I cranked out, since I'd already written them and was just editing and whatnot, I was able to get three novels out in, like, the span of, like, six months. And just could kind of just knock them out one after the other and just kept going. And at the time, I was making so little money from working at like Pizza Hut, It's not like I needed to make a huge amount just for this to be viable. Uh, And then by the time I had five books out, it was enough that I could quit Pizza Hut. And then I was like, well, nothing else to do. Just keep writing and keep writing. And hopefully, I'll have so many books out. I don't even need to have some crazy big seller. I'll just win through sheer numbers.
0: And that's kind of the the self-publishing model that that really works, I find, tends to work best when authors are more prolific because it's a model that that you know the, the prolificacy in general is something that generally doesn't work with the traditional model because you know unless a company like orbit is trying something with the new author where they're saying okay mm-hmm. we're going to put a trilogy out in, in in a year and a half or something like that which so has it, happened yeah. they did have a uh, shadow
1: dance when they bought shadow dance they cranked out the first three books in like six months or something like that right. and then slowed down afterwards
0: no right. i uh I've seen it happen with other authors, like I think uh, R.J. Barker's Wounded Kingdom series. Those three books came out real real quick, in quick succession, and then they put them on a regular schedule of like one book a year after that, I think, with Bone Ships. Yeah, so, but for me, with, I mean, Half-Orcs was not the first series of yours that that I read. The first series of yours I read is Seraphim, which is not as common of a first read of yours if you you were to ask your readers, but then I... I love that series. And I went and I discovered everything else. And I realized what you, what you had been doing with half works. And that was kind of the series that um, I started reading that I, w- I just wanted to burn through and it just blew my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, the thing about half works, I know you mentioned your influences being um, Salvatore and, and stuff like that, or at mm-hmm. least having some of an influence. But one of the things I really noticed is there was a real, Intense emotional depth in these books, like the relationships uh, were were so strong, and I find I found them to be uh, incredibly char- character oriented. Uh, particularly, um, some of the romantic relationships in the stories were just like uh, super intense, and um, <laughs> like I couldn't put them down. And I remember when I was reading them, I messaged you, um, and, and and really dark too. I mean, I, I don't know if I would say necessarily grim dark in. I mean, even grimdark authors don't necessarily want to call themselves themselves grimdark authors anymore and pigeonhole themselves <laughs> into that. I, I, I've I've interviewed many of them and they've said mm-hmm. that. But but it, it is a dark series. It's got oh, it's very dark, and it, and it's really intense. And and um, one of the things I wanted to kind of ask you is. How much of, of yourself and, and I guess the people in your life, the people that you know the most in your life made it into those characterizations? Because as I was reading it, I was thinking, I mean, this, even though there's magic and there's orcs and there's elves and there's all these, these other races, this is real intense emotional stuff. And I would imagine it can only come from some type of real, you know, emotion from the author because generally people like write what they know if they want the buy-in from readers.
1: So, at the time that, the, the, the whole original point of when I wrote, started the half orcs is, uh, do you know what a MUD is? No, I should. Okay, so, uh, it is a text-based version of say any sort of MMO, like say World of Warcraft. Um okay. so it was a, there was a text-based MUD that is actually where I met my wife. I was playing a half-orc barbarian character named Tarek and she had a half-elf sorceress named Aurelia, and that is where both of those characters came from and given the fact that that's why I met her and end up marrying her in real life and in game uh, so we had our own little storyline and one of my best friends was playing a, my brother Kura and so we had this little storyline on this little text based game that sort of mimics a little bit of what's going on in what would be Cost of Betrayal the second book but like we were just kind of doing our own little weird thing and then, but because we're playing it online and we started to get more characters involved and things filed out of control and then the people who ran the server took over what was going on with Kura and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to take all these characters that are being played by like my friend and my friend's wife and me and my wife and I'm going to try and just tell this story from the beginning when I have 100% total control of what's going on and no limitations of like an online world or anything like that. So the main cast is basically Me and my wife (laughs) and my (laughs) best friend is playing the brother. And then like Tisana was also based on my wife. So like, and then Kura ended up just being like a darker version of me. So the two main brothers and their two main relationships are just basically both me and my wife. Twice. <laughs> so when it's like, yeah, no, intense emotional reactions. Yes, I was like newly married to her when writing this, like the like honeymoon era. So like all that intensity is just there. And then I just, I didn't think the story was just going to go anywhere. I just wanted to have it down and kind of tell it right, how we always kind of wanted it to be. And then I just started like having fun. So like Jericho was a friend of mine's protection paladin from World of Warcraft. I was like, hey, you want to be in my story? Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Well, you're you're a paladin, so I'm going to throw you in. You're Jericho now. And then, like, Tarlac is based on my older brother from a – his character was a wizard in Ultima Online, which I don't know if you've ever seen that game, but it's old. And he would always run around as a little – we're talking like a non-3D, like a little 2D sprite – for one of the first ever multi-graphical MMOs and he would run around and he would always dye his robe yellow and his cloak black so that's where the wizard in yellow came from and then I never told anyone why he always wore yellow I just made it an in-universe like oddity that the character always did and so one day on my fan page like eight years after I had published I posted a screenshot of my brother's character running around in this little yellow robe
0: that's really cool so yeah like I mean I wrote uh well I've co-written 13 books but mm-hmm. i six, but I'm putting them all out again in a different release schedule this year when I get around to it. But I've never actually played um, d d or, or uh, Warcraft or any of these games. I mean, I've been invited to play a lot and mm-hmm. I've basically told everyone, why would you want me? It would be like, you know, I would I would be like <laughs> the dude that's picked last for volleyball and I'm going to mm-hmm. ruin it for you. But uh, but every character that I've ever every male MC has always been kind of me and every female character character has always been traits of my wife, and sometimes mm-hmm. I've even gone so far as, you know, calling ourselves similar names and stuff like that. So I figured that you must have done that. Um, I, I think I asked you, you gave me a short sort of answer to it when I did a text-based interview with you a long time ago. But it's it's really cool, and you can definitely feel that from the characterization, that um, they're a little deeper than, than, you know, just random fictional stories. Uh, so tell me about, so you've got, You've got this relatively prolific, um, series of stuff. Now, Paladins, um, mm-hmm. I, I've asked you, um, in the past what you think your, in, at least in your opinion, your best work is, or at least your favorite work. And you've mm-hmm. always said it's the Paladin series, which, yep. you know, ties into the, the Half Orc series as well. Um, what is it about that series that makes it so special to you and, and, um, and what do you love about it? it's
1: with the paladins i wanted to by this point i was in like i think i was in my second or third year of self-publishing and like burnout was approaching it hadn't hit me yet but i could kind of feel it because you just you needed to keep making books keep getting the books out there so i was like all right i'm gonna try and write a smaller series i'm gonna write shorter books a smaller series and i was like i'm gonna tell it with this character jericho who's who was very popular and i loved writing him anytime i had him and i was like you know what let's let's do another, like, this little spinoff thing with Jericho. And the thing is, because I tried to keep it so short, uh, I restricted the cast immensely. Like, okay, I can't have, like, you know, if, I, if I'm going to write a short, like, 50,000, 60,000-word novel again, going all the way back to, like, Way of Blood, I can't have point of views of, like, 10 characters. Each character will get, like, two chapters, and then the book will be done. So I ended up with a much smaller cast and a much more personal story. To just like this little core group of these three characters of Jericho, Darius, and Velessa. And even Velessa, it actually took a little bit of time to, for her to really become a prominent character. So it was really just kind of returning to what I like, started with in Half-Works, which was like Herrick and Kura, this conflict between these two brothers that you know loved each other but also blew up half a world. And then with Darius and Jericho, I had these two paladins of like opposing gods. That were very clearly friends, and then their gods basically declare war on each other, and they're like, oh, uh, how do we react to this? <laughs> and just kind of being able to deal with like that friendship, and then Dario struggles with faith at the same time, Jericho's struggling with faith just in opposite reasons in different directions, and just, uh, and then overall, like the, the series length, I wanted to write a bunch of short books, and like the first one was like, 55k, the second was 65k, and then 75k, and then, like, 85k, because apparently I cannot write a short novel to save my life. Uh, <laughs> by the time I was writing the fourth one, like, the ending in particular is still probably my favorite of any book I've ever written, and the one that tends to gut-punch people the most and get me, like, the most, like, angry, shocked emails.
0: Yeah, you see, I haven't read it. I'm, I'm a little bit of, like, uh, uh, reading Pleasure lair. Mm -hmm. Um, And because you said that was your favorite series, it's kind of the one that I'm leaving until the end after I've read all your other stuff. But it sounds awesome. I'm excited to read that. Have have you read all eight of the Half-Orcs? No, I haven't, actually. I would uh, would read it. I'm actually so this is so I had I had read up to book six, which was awesome. uh, And I knew you were writing the eighth book. And I was like, okay, I'm going to. But then what happened was and this is this is something that uh, I started doing and I actually texted you and asked you this yesterday. I, the only Shadow Dance book I had read was the first one, which is Dance of Cloaks. Am I yes. getting there? The, that's the only one I had read and I loved it. And I was actually going to, in this next question, which is kind of a big all encompassing question about how you got started at Orbit and stuff like that. I was going to kind of bring that into this um, because that was the series that they, I guess they first signed you with. When I found out a little bit about, the Shadow Dance series and how it was basically a, a prequel series to the Half Orcs dealing with with Heron the Watcher, who I, I had only known from uh, from reading Shadow Dance. But then I discovered after I started reading Half Orcs that he was a big part of that series as well. Yep. <laughs> and I loved him and I loved him in that series. Very different characterization because I have, I, you know, obviously he must progress a tremendous amount throughout the Shadow <laughs> Dance series. And I had yep. only read the first book. I decided you know what, I'm going to do this in chronological order, I'm mm-hmm. going to start reading Shadow Dance, I'm going to start it again, and I'm going to read it all the way through, and then I'm going to start again with Half Orcs, and that's where I'm at right now.
1: I, um, I would I would actually recommend reading the Paladins, uh, if not immediately after Shadow Dance, between books two and three. The Paladins was meant to be a standalone, but like, the timing of when it takes place, and also because of the way I wrote it, so I wrote like, five half orc novels and three Shadow Dance novels before I signed with Orbit. And I had also and then by that point I was like I think I was actively writing the Paladins and finishing them up. So like all of the series started like referencing each other, but then I went and wrote the final three Shadow Dance novels. By that point I had written all of the paladins. So there's like paladins characters in the final three novels of Shadow Dance. So you'll recognize them and so you can read them in any order. So but then by the time you get to the seventh, the sixth, seventh, and eighth half orc novel, I had written all of those prior. i had written the half orcs, well, you know, the obvious I'd written the earlier half orc novels, but I'd also written Paladins, and I'd written all six of the Shadow Dance novels at that point. So by the time you get to like half orcs six, seven, and eight, I basically was like, you know what, this is just gonna be the one series that remains out of all of this stuff set in the same world. I wasn't going to write Paladins 5 or *Shadowdance* 7. I'm just going to continue all of it in one singular Half-Orcs now. So there's references and characters and mentions to all of the series now, uh, including The Breaking World as well, which was a really early prequel set during, like, the creation myth era. Uh, so, like, all four series now are being put into the most recent Half-Orc novels. And the the... Ninth Halford novel is going to be an unofficial sequel to Shadow Dance, basically.
0: All right. So, to put this out there for our listeners, who I'm, ob- I obviously really want to read the work, <laughs> which should uh-huh. um, official reading order. If we're, if you're going to do this right, y- you're going um, to uh, start with Shadow Dance. With start with Shadow Dance. with which actually came out, um, and, I'm, and I'll ask you about this. So, start with Shadow Dance, one to six. Then you're going to do half orcs one and two.
1: I would just, just for sheer simplicity's sake, it goes Shadow Dance, Paladins, half orcs. That is just right. the easiest way to track it. And it also means that when you get to my oldest stuff with the half orcs, you've hopefully read enough stuff by me to trust me to know what I'm doing. Cause uh, those first few half orc novels are rough. Yeah. So if you need to, if
0: anyone needs to waste uh, it's not really a waste but but procrastinate their work and and, <laughs> and 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 binge and put a ton of their of their time into something that they're not going to be able to get out of. Just do that it's, it's, it's a lot it's a lot of stuff it's a lot of stuff so so explain this to me then um how did the whole orbit thing come about, and why was it shadow dance and why with when you had such a, a, a like a big sort of almost a rabid half works? following that was kind of coming out of the woodworks, why did they they decide to go the route of, um, um, of something completely different rather than just signing the Half-Orcs novels as the tried and true and, and putting well, those in? they looked
1: at it, but uh, in terms of sales, Dance of Cloaks was a monster. Like, it in particular was by far and away the biggest seller I had. So, like, the Half-Orcs series was doing fine, and it's what got me started. Uh, Cloaks is what allowed me to quit my job cloaks was what was paying the bills and like the series were clearly linked together but like with cloaks i had different covers and they were very very shamelessly uh trying to hop onto the way of shadows which was like dominating the charts and like assassin's creed was like really really big at the time too so i was just like make it look like assassin's creed and way of shadows so like here's orbit with way of shadows selling really well and here's me with a Tangential, similar assassin story that even looks similar with the cover, and they're like, "This seems perfect for us." It was also the it be the it was just the easiest sell. It also it was like wouldn't need the least amount of work. And again, it was the one that was selling the most, so they wanted the one that was, you know, selling the best and the most popular. There was the you know, we talked about the possibility of then having them like take the half orcs, but after because we took down like, four novels out of the six of Shadow Dance, and then had to explain to people that, like, hey, these are renamed and there's new covers, and two of them are new and four of them are old and all that. Uh, Orbit was very much like, hey, so we finished these six Shadow Dance novels. Do you have anything new? (laughs) Because I don't think they wanted to deal with the taking stuff down again, publishing them under potentially new names and all that nonsense. They're like, no, do you have anything new? I was like, well, I've got this Weird Attack on Titan inspired anime esque Seraphim series. <laughs> how does that sound?
0: Yeah, and that coming full circle is, is um I, I remember sitting in um I was I was just devouring orbit stuff at that time. Um, mm-hmm. I had discovered um well I had discovered the publisher, I had discovered fantasy and, and science fiction, um and, and what 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 people were doing with modern fantasy and science fiction and how mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily uh you know Tolkien-esque uh, elves and and orcs and and stuff like that, and that there was so much more. I, I was actually really a big fan of some of the grimdark stuff because I came from comic book background and I loved uh, you know Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and Grant Morrison and Warren Ellis and all those guys that came over from the UK with like the Vertigo imprint and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I found that a lot of the grimdark fantasy books were were doing a similar thing. Um, so I, I just saw skyborne sitting on the shelf when i was killing some time at a bookstore and i picked it up and i got into it right away and um that was uh that was how i discovered your work now i've talked to you about this before but I, to expand on it this was very different like skyborne yes. almost i mean there was a little bit of swearing in it and there were some intense situations and it was again with your characterizations are always very very strong um, I wouldn't, it, it, they're younger characters, I guess, because they're training. I wouldn't exactly call it YA, but you said it was kind of like you, like, you were kind of going for YA, but you weren't exactly sure. It's
1: like YA adjacent. Like I said, I, I was like very much worried that after six showdowns novels, I'd end up being pigeonholed, like grass, you're going to be writing nothing but assassins for the rest of your career, which so I was like, I'd rather not. Um, and also I didn't want to be, you know, pigeonholed as any sort of like grimdark author, because Uh, the Shadow Dance series, like, you know, it it was bloody and grim, but like a lot of my stuff was just not quite like that. It's usually very hopeful or at least, you know, good guys do win in the end type stuff. So at the time I was like, okay, I wanted to, I wanted to do a lot of things. I wanted to write in a world that wasn't stereotypical fantasy with elves and orcs, which the half orcs and Shadow Dance absolutely was. I wanted to have a much more concrete magic system instead of with the half orcs where it's like, they move their hands and whisper some magic words and a spell happens. And I also just was, like, completely enamored with, like, like the Attack on Titan was, like, the most obvious influence, but a bunch of different anime. Uh, I grew up just freaking loving Trigon and Gundam Wing and all those type of things. And I was like, well, I want to try and do a bit more modern world, something more akin to something like that. And just kind of all of that melded together into what would become the Seraphim, starting with Skyborn. And the big thing also, like, pushed it forward was like, I wanted to do aerial combat. I yeah. wanted to see if I, like, I had floating islands based on my love of zeal from the game Chrono Trigger. And I've got, like, this little military organization with the Seraphim. I was like, I've got, like, elemental attacks with, like, from their gauntlets. So I could still have some magic and over-the-top stuff. But I really wanted to try and tackle aerial combat. You know, mass aerial combat with people flinging spells at each other. And in terms of like battle scenes, there's some of the best stuff I've ever done is in that series, just for the sheer uniqueness of it compared to like just a basic sword fight, especially once the layer crazy stuff starts happening in the books that I can't really talk about.
0: Yeah. Well, just, um, one of the things I really, I, I like about your books in general, one of the things I actually look forward to is you've got your author's note at the end, mm-hmm. uh, where you at, w- which I, you know, is a kind of, kind of like a uh, different than an acknowledgement, but it's, um, it's, you know, where for anyone that, so David, when at the end of his books, like talks a little bit about the experience of writing the book and, you know, thanks everybody for reading it and talks about like where he was while he was writing it. And I, I really enjoyed your sort of talk about the metamorphosis of the Seraphim series from start to finish because uh, mm-hmm. it really is uh and w- this is you know without too many spoilers because i think it's a great series and people should check it out um it's a very different animal uh by the time you get to uh shadowborn the last book the series, <laughs> yeah where it out. like it's honestly like it's one of the craziest most surreal reading experiences in fantasy and i won't say anything other than that other than uh then check it out because it's freaking awesome so before i get into into um you know, the, the more current stuff uh, being, you know, the Soulkeeper series. And uh, oh, I'm, I want to say Bladed Faith, but I, I know that's not the name of the actual uh, series. The Vagrant Gods. Vagrant Gods. OK, so before we get into the, the newest Orbit stuff uh, and what you've got coming next. Um, so you've experienced for quite a long time now being signed to a traditional publisher. And you've also experienced that you've had the hybrid uh, experience of doing uh, indie stuff uh, mm-hmm. consecutively what have you found to be, um, I guess, the biggest joys uh, of each of the experiences and and what, I guess, have you found to be the bigger challenges of each of the two separate experiences?
1: With self-publishing, it's it's still nice to have, like, all the control. Just the worst part about self-publishing is that you also have all the control. So, uh, you know, editing, you know, when I finish a novel and I get its edits in, If I've got the cover ready and I've got the book edited, I can just like upload it the next day. And I am not that patient a person, nor do I have enough willpower. So what ends up happening with self-publishing is like get that sucker out, get it done, get it edited and upload it and just be all thrilled with it. And then just keep on going and having just full control over what the cover looks like and who's on it and what's going on. And like it can be really addictive and having all that control. But it's also kind of suck. Having to try to get an editor and get the edits done and any sort of promotion and any formatting. It's like it's, and then throw in my overall impatient nature. There's in things like Soul Keeper, for example, uh, I junked like 40,000 words, I think, trying to get this one specific segment. My editor just like, I made an attempt to fix it. It was this huge little side section that she was just like, it feels like a side story and it's like, 40,000 words long so it's not a side story it's like a quarter of the novel fix it <laughs> and like I made like three attempts and ended up finally just deleting all 40,000 it was like seven chapters and just rewriting from scratch and I know I wouldn't do that self publishing I just I just wouldn't um, same for like uh, like Soulkeeper. Keeper we got or, uh, like I ended up like deleting 40,000 and writing like 30,000 new words I mean there's it allows me, because of the overall slow pace of traditional publishing, it allows me to be patient, take my time, uh, be willing to delete massive chunks of a story and spend the time rewriting them because I'm not feeling like I need to crank out a novel every four months. So I think overall, I think the quality of the novels is significantly improved. I think they're better stories. I think they're more consistent stories. Uh, I think they're overall better written. They're not quite as wild and insane, <laughs> some of my early stuff, where there's literally no one to tell me no, which is its own little joy, but, like, you get to the eighth work novel, and I'm just doing absurd stuff by that point, and characters are dying left and right, and by that point, maybe people will wish I had someone to tell me no. So, at this point, like, I very much don't, I don't even view myself as a hybrid author. I've self published, like, one novel three years ago. And then, like, the previous novel before that was, like, another four years. Those poor half-orc fans waited, like, four years for one novel, then, like, three <laughs> years for another, and they're going to wait. By the time I'm going to start writing the next one, and it's going to have been, like, another three or four years. So, like, I'm I'm a traditional author that has, like, that writes half-orc novels on the side. Oh, <laughs> Anytime yeah. someone tries to ask me for, like, hey, do you have any advice for self-publishing? I'm like, yeah, sure, go back to 2010, <laughs> and maybe my advice to you will be relevant.
0: Yeah, but what, so I mean one of the things I've noticed and I I have read um I've read the uh now I'm, I'm terrible with series names. I'm, I I want to say the Soulkeeper series and I don't think that's right either.
1: It's the Keeper's uh, Trilogy. Keep,
0: keep yeah, that's the one. Um so I've read that series and and um and of course um I've read Bladed Faith, uh the most recent book that you have out mm-hmm. uh on Orbit and uh I've noticed um that you know the the uh Using the term, like, literary fantasy, I mean, I've always thought there was a literary quality to your work, but I feel like there's kind of, like, an even more, like, a progression in uh, your writing and some uh, some of these, some of the works, some of the the prose in these two series. I I remember messaging you, reading Soulkeeper, and I said, wow, there's, like, a a real maturity and, and like, a real, uh, kind of, like, a beauty to the prose in this, and it feels Mm -hmm. different, even though, uh, you know, all your stuff was amazing. Did you were you going for that, like at all? Were you were you trying to to, to elevate the storytelling and elevate the, the the type of prose that you were writing? Um, with
1: with Soulkeeper, at that point I was like, okay, you know, I'm I, I'm going. I, I had finished up there, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to a more quote unquote traditional fantasy. But I also was like, I want to start a world from scratch because the thing about because I wrote in such a very very fantasy D and ah. D obvious adjacent world with. The first 20 novels with the paladins and half orcs and giants and whatnot, uh, I did not have that great a confidence in my world building. You know, my magic system was just like hand wavy. The world was elves and orcs and like, whatnot. I so Seraphim, I started to branch out with Keeper's. Like, I'm going to put a lot more emphasis on world building and characters and creature design and like every single monster or race in it is going to be from scratch. There's not going to be anything you can point to and be like, Oh, that's obviously an X, Y, or Z from the dungeon, you know, for the monsters manual and D and D. So I, I, it was me putting a lot more effort. And I had an emphasis of, I'm trying to make this world seem magical and unique and different. And all these creatures that are appearing are all different and weird. And so I, put emphasis on that i was not compared to say shadow dance where the emphasis was on an absolutely blistering pace you know go nuts combat into combat into combat into death into people dying into betrayal into more combat so like with keepers i tried to slow down and tried to you know establish a mood in the world and um, if the writing was better it also may just be that at that point, I'm on my like my 25th novel or whatever. At some point, you'd think I would get better at what I was doing. It.
0: Yeah, um, some of the things that uh, really caught me when I was reading uh, when I started reading the first Soulkeeper book that just um, blew my mind was was some of the the like the monsters and and yeah, there's you've got the one I, I want to say her name is Lavender and I don't know if I'm right.
1: Oh gosh, um, yeah, I, she's I a think rainbow. Right, Lavender, she's like a yes.
0: rainbow. She's kind of like a rainbow spirit that Devin meets sort of close to the beginning um, that kind of fades in and out. And it's like the first kind of real ethereal moment in the story um, before he realizes, uh, before he meets his brother, goes and and finds yeah. his brother.
1: Yeah, that was uh, Lavender. I believe she was the spider lady that's like, yes. I made her, but uh, her like her outfits and the way her... Uh, The way her body is, like, covered in scales, I believe I designed after a flower, and it, like, starts, like, green near the bottom, but, like, blooms into red and gold, and she, like, if I remember right, she doesn't, like, when she traps you in her web, she doesn't drink, like, your blood or whatever, she basically drinks your memories, so she's, like using Devin and, like, drinking of his memories to try and figure out, because the idea is, like, she's been asleep for, like, 400 years, so she's using Devin's memories to figure out what the heck just happened to the world, because they all just kind of blinked in and out of existence in 400 years past so they're like, what's going on? What's the world become? But yeah. she was, yeah, she was really fun, because, like, in her backstory, I wish I could have done more with her. There's a lot I wanted to do with that series I never quite got around to doing. But, like, she was, like, used to be, like, Hanging out in courts and like showing, like hanging out with kings and like letting them relive their favorite moments of their youth from this where she was like always desiring to be around while also being this super awesome spider diplomat lady.
0: Yeah, no, it was really cool and, and, uh, very cinematic too. Like as I was reading that, that book, I was like, this, I can visualize this in my mind as a movie so well. And yeah, no, it was really, 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 uh, fantastic. Now, and now you've got, then you've got vagrant gods. Which is, mm-hmm. again, um you know, it's like a, a multi POV kind of fantasy series, which I would say also has some incredibly dark elements to it. As the follow up to um the Keeper series, what were you trying to do? Because I feel like, you know, creative people, especially, you know, that are, and I've, a lot of people have told me this, like when I say, what's your favorite work? They'll say, oh, the one I'm working on right now. Uh, A lot of times that's because, you know, creative people are always trying to up their last work because, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody wants to be stagnant. Tell our community about the Vagrant Gods series, because it's the series that is out now. It's the newest thing you've got. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of what the impetus behind, uh, you know, the writing of the series and what you were going for with it and uh, just what makes it unique in and of itself.
1: Uh, With Vagrant Gods, it was an attempt to kind of, okay, I've done... Like, crazy anime-style fights and monsters and stuff in Seraphim. I started everything from scratch and tried to do a bit more slower world-building with Keepers. I've got my heavy D&D-style stuff with Paladin and Half-Orcs. You know, I've got all these different things, uh, these styles and these worlds. And I'm starting to feel overall more confident in the world-building and character development. So I was like, I'm going to try to see if I can, like, all right, let's just... I wanted to create a series that I feel like, all right, what's what is the definitive David douglish book at this point going forward? Which, you know, when I have so many different series and so many different ideas, uh I was like and so it was like I'm gonna try and up the tempo a little bit compared to keepers. go Back to something a bit closer to shadow dance. I scaled the magic back a little bit as well, again, kinda of more shadow dance level in terms of like there's not monsters on every corner. And but then tried to still leave room for magical things especially involving the gods and you have like uh mari the god whisperer who can shapeshift into various slain gods you've got priests that still have spells and you've got like again the gods themselves which allow me to have a lot of magic and moments stuff like that while still being able to feel like i can keep it grounded as necessary and then i've got you know a found family which pretty much every book series of mine has other than maybe Seraphim, and that was probably the biggest thing I struggled with with Seraphim until I felt like I developed that nice little core group of characters that the book evolved around. So with Vagrant Gods, it starts off with a bang. You've got the Everlon Empire invading an island and Prince Cyrus is watching his kingdom conquered. His parents are beheaded. This is all chapter one, by the way. This isn't really a spoiler. Um, he literally watches one of his own gods, this, uh, winged lion god and Darius gets killed by these incredibly powerful knights that work. Uh, that fight for the evil empire, the known as Paragons, and then uh, it's just like, all right, let's let's tell a little bit of a revenge tale, and let's slowly branch out and develop this world, Uh and just throw hints of like these other places as like basically this little team of like elite people from all over the world kind of get brought in to turn the island that was invaded into this, like, little personal Vietnam where everyone's fighting a little proxy war against this empire that's been expanding. And and other than that, I've just kind of tried to evolve what I'm doing and make this the culmination of everything that's going on. So, like, the fights are hopefully some of the best I've ever written. The characters are probably some of the, my most... my favorite I've ever done. Mari, the God Whisperer character, is easily my favorite character now I've ever written. And her role in the second book, The Sapphire Altar, like exploded after I wrote the first one. I was just like, I love this character so much. <laughs> just this tiny, happy go lucky character that also happens to turn into a undead lion and murder people.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. It feels really big. I was gonna say, um some of the the stuff right at the very beginning is also really cinematic with the uh with the two uh gods and I, again I don't not to give away too much because you know, that's not what we do. You got to read it for yourself, but it's definitely, uh, it's next level fantasy and it's really good. I, I would say Bladed Faith was one of my favorite books, um, that I've read in the last couple of years and I've read quite a bit of stuff. So definitely, you know, uh, one that people should check out when they need a break from the, the insanity of going through <laughs> Shadow Dance and Half Orcs and Paladins, which, you know, probably won't take them as long as, as they think it'll take. Or you them.
1: can or you can skip straight to Blade of Faith. I mean, it is the newest one. <laughs> it's a little yeah. less daunting. Like, hey, yeah. there's this world with, like, 20 novels. Or you could just read, like, self- <laughs> Blade of Faith, these yeah. self-contained ones, and see if you actually vibe with my style or not.
0: All right. So uh, what's next? And I guess I'll take this, you know, because usually uh, people know what they're working on, at least you know, a, a year to a couple of years into the future. What do you have planned for uh, the next little while?
1: So uh, Sapphire Altar, the second book of Vega Gods, releases in January, I believe. Um, I've got about seven, eight chapters left as of this interview, and I'll have the rough draft finished for book three, which is still uh, officially unnamed. I want to call it The Slain Divine. We'll see if Orbit agrees. And then after that, it'll be... The ninth half work novel, probably the last half work novel, unless I just enjoy it. I will make sure it does not end with a giant cliffhanger. so those poor readers that have stuck with me over the past 12 years now don't have to suffer anymore. But so finish up the book three of Vegar Gods write the next Half-Orc novel so I can finish up a cliffhanger that I've explored. there's a cliffhanger from Shadow Dance 6 that I'm actually addressing in Half-Orc 9 which gives you an idea of how interconnected this stupid series have gotten and then after that it is probably one of two things because I could write a 4th, 5th, and 6th Vagrant Gods novel I'm leaving that option open but that's going to kind of depend on Orbit or I could start something new so I've been mostly brainstorming Uh, the new novel. I'm I'm thinking like two books ahead usually. So it's a new series, new world, new fantasy elements. I'm just kind of in that brainstorming stage where I'm like trying to figure out the main hook, what's driving the world, who the main cast is, and I've got most of it figured out at this point. So uh, to where I'm just gonna write like the first chapter, send to my agent, be like, hey, does seem any good? Awesome.
0: Well, regardless, um. It sounds like there's going to be something for people that are looking for another half orc's book, and people that are digging what you're doing now. So, um, and there's a lot of stuff for people to read in the meantime to get caught up. I like to end all my interviews with this question, and I know that uh, you know you would mention that you know self-publishing advice is not necessarily something that's uh, in the realm of where you are currently, but writing advice probably would be. So, if you could give uh, one piece of advice to new and aspiring writers, uh, people that either just want to put a book out or are thinking of trying to make a career in writing, what would that be?
1: Finish a novel and then be willing to start another one. That is probably the best thing you could possibly do, especially if you are just starting out, because the amount of times I'll see someone, they'll finish their first novel and they'll be in love with it, and they have every right to be in love with it. You should be proud. Even finishing a novel, especially if it's your first one, is incredibly rare, incredibly difficult. But so often people will fall in love with their one novel and then just try to edit it and then edit it and then rewrite it and then edit it and then rewrite it and then just keep pitching it and keep pitching it and keep pitching it. And they'll be like working on this one specific novel for like five to ten years. Whereas if you just wrote it, edited it, rewrote it as necessary, and then moved on, and then wrote another one, and then write the next one, and then write the next one, that's where you're going to start to figure out who you are as a writer as you start experimenting with different things and writing in different worlds and getting characters. That's what I would focus on. And then you never know. Maybe that third novel you write is the one that's really good and can have an actual chance to uh, sell. Or Maybe it'll be the fifth novel. Maybe it'll be your 10th, your 20th, who knows? but always better to try to have more things to sell and work on than just that one specific novel that so many people get stuck on.
0: Yeah. And I know people that are looking for that lucrative traditional deal and they've got manuscripts and manuscripts of stuff and they just keep trying to pitch the same book over and over and over again. And I've said, you know, why don't you try something else so that, you know, you're not, forgotten about and you know like the people you know wait 10 years to get that one lucrative deal
1: even agents know this even agents be like they can tell they can almost feel like oh this is some novel they've talked about like they'll see a novel and then like if they've been in the business long enough like six seven years later they'll get the same exact novel pitch to them or I've had authors in writer's groups that have been in a writer's group for a really long time, and they'll have a writer in the writer's group six years later still talking about that one specific novel. And it's like, it's been six years. You know, you could probably write two or three more after that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, David, where can people find you online if they want to connect or find out more about your work and um, delve into your world?
1: Uh, I have a website at ddalglish.com. dot uh, com. You can also find me on Twitter at that guy. Uh, it's easily where I'm most active. Uh, and tell you that I do have a Facebook page, though I use it far less rarely. At uh, Facebook. dot uh, backslash David Dalglish.
0: Awesome. Well, David, it was amazing talking to you. Always really cool to interview an author that I'm an actual big fan of and who uh, and there's all there were a lot of things that i had wanted to ask you and hear the expanded answers on so this was great uh wish you uh the best of success in everything that you've got going on and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon
1: it was fun and i'm always willing to ramble
0: sounds cool man take care this has been authors in focused you can find my satirical fantasy novels on amazon Need help finding readers? Connect with me on Facebook in the Fantasy Sci-Fi Focus group or at authorsinfocus at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at fantasy-focus.com and where your favorite podcasts are hosted.